Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 11 of the Lip Lettuce Podcast. I'm your host, Randy, and I will be throwing it over to my interview with Farhan Lalji. It was such an honor to be able to talk to Farhan. Uh, He is in tune with Vancouver sports like nobody else, and he's truly an OG in Vancouver. So it was such an honor to be able to talk Canucks with him, and I even got a Super Bowl prediction from Farhan. So I hope you guys really enjoy that interview. I'm so thankful for you guys listening to our 11th episode of the podcast. And Hershon and I will be talking hockey as well on this episode. So without further ado, episode 11 of the Lip Lettuce Podcast. If you live in BC, you know my next guest. He's been a part of TSN since 1997, and no one knows the Vancouver sports scene better than him. You can also listen to his football podcast called "With Football with Farhan and Mode. Um, Farhan Lalji, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a true honor to be able to talk to you on the Lip Lettuce podcast. Randy, thank you for having me. I'm honored. So Farhan, like I said, you've uh, been covering in Vancouver area for a long time. And I would say no one is in more in tune with all the sports teams in the Vancouver area, especially the Canucks and BC Lions like you are Farhan. So I wanted to get your take on a few Canucks questions. My first question that I have for you is, under Bruce Boudreaux, the Canucks have been a totally different team than under Travis Green. And obviously he was uh, brought in um, just for this year and his contract is expiring at the end of the year. Do you expect the Canucks to bring back Bruce? Well, I do. And, you know, he, he did sign a two-year deal when he came, but there is a club option in the second year. So there's a bit of a gray area on the length of his deal. And even if he has a, a second year on the deal, you don't want to go into that as a lame duck coach at that point. So one way or the other, you'd want him to get extended this offseason. And uh, I think he's earned the opportunity to come back, right? Uh, he, he got this team back into the mix. You know, they're, they're a better team. They're not necessarily a completely better team. Some of their flaws are still there. This is a very poorly constructed roster, and I think he's made the most out of what's there. He's been able to get the most out of these players. The special teams on both sides have really, really improved under his watch, and the top players have been better, right? And, and ultimately, that's what you need, uh, regardless of the flaws. So playing 650 hockey and still being in the playoff race uh, on December 5th when he first took over, I think it's a remarkable accomplishment. And whether he will come back, I mean, I, I'm, I, I do expect it to happen, but I can't sit here and say it's a slam dunk that it's going to happen. Right, right. And would you think the Canucks would view this season as successful um, considering the horrendous start that the team had and the management and the makeup of the team wasn't, wasn't perfect to, to begin with. And they've really turned it around and they're competitive every night since the coaching change. And yeah, like I'm, you said, it's been really impressive that they're in the race. Yeah. I, I, I don't know that they would necessarily term it a success just because of all the turnover that happened. So yeah, the second half was, it went as well as it possibly could have gone, but ultimately when this team was built, it was built to make the playoffs and this was an all in year. 
they're operating not just at the cap, but they're operating in the LTI. The teams that are in that situation have to be in the playoffs. They've got to, uh, if not contend, at least compete. And ultimately the end of it will be that this team can't do that. And again, I know what the numbers look like and there has been improvement, but if you look under the hood a little bit at the underlying numbers, you know, there have been some moments where it's, you know, been unsustainable shot percentages or unsustainable goaltending or what have you. Um, the overall process isn't necessarily as good as some of the outcomes have been uh, under Boudreaux. So I think it's, it's tough to term it a failure from the standpoint in management. Hey, look, we got here and all of a sudden they got to, to 650. But, um, you know, overall, if you're a player, your expectations coming into this season certainly have not been met. And it would be difficult to view it as a success from those terms. A player that really fascinates me in the Canucks organization, I, I currently live in Abbotsford, so I've been able to go to uh, quite a few Abbotsford Canucks games this year, and Jack Rathbone has really impressed me in almost every game that I've been to. His skating ability, his passing, um, his ability to quarterback a power play. Uh, he's just a really impressive young player with who I see has a lot of upside. Why do you think the Canucks have uh, been maybe a little bit hesitant to call him up as much this year? I think early on, he didn't necessarily show a complete defensive game and uh, or a complete game, right? There were some problems in his own end, and they felt he needed a little bit more seasoning in the American Hockey League. Hey, guys, Farhan and I had some technical difficulties with the interview, so we picked it back up where we start left it off. Sorry about that, guys. Thanks again of games in and um, I, you know I think they had some concerns about his complete two-way game especially in his own zone and you know he's not a big physical defenseman you know you you need to have those details in place unless you are as dynamic as Quinn Hughes right so when Quinn Hughes came he didn't have the same uh, complete defensively aware game but he was just so dynamic offensively it was worth the risk right and so you know Rathbone is, is a good offensive player but not to the point where you're able to overcome the defensive shortcomings. So I think they wanted to send him down there for some seasoning and then he had the injury. And then since then he, you know, he's gotten better and they feel like his game is a little more complete. And, you know, I do think you're going to see him. They're not going to put him in now when they still think they've got a chance to get in the playoffs. But I think if they lose one more game, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Rathbone played, you know, the last, you know, four or five games here in Vancouver before the American league playoffs. And honestly, you know, I don't think it's a horrible thing, right? Like you don't want two smallish, youngish, offensive-oriented defensemen in your lineup unless you really believe that they can play both ways. But also the organization has been very guilty of fast-tracking players, and it hasn't always served them well, right? Hughes and Pedersen, they probably needed to do that with, but a guy like Nils Hoaglander, could, could he have benefited from some time in the minors? You know, uh, a half decade ago, we would say the same thing about Jake Vertanen. Uh, or Jared McCann back at the same time when both guys made it. Or, uh, you know, even now with a pod Colson, who's showing really well right now, but, you know, could he have benefited from some American Hockey League time uh, earlier this season? You know, they've, had such, they've got such a poor prospect pipeline. Part of the reason is because they've fast-tracked these guys because of the flaws uh, at the National Hockey League level. So I think Rathbone, in the end, will be better served for the small amount of time he spent in the American League because I do believe next year he'll be a full-timer in Vancouver. Like you said, the um, the pipeline isn't um, the isn't doesn't have the stars that you might expect from other teams um, in terms of prospects. But is there any names that Canuck fans could be excited about that they might not expect that could make an impact and make the team in the next coming years? 
Uh, well, I think I think Danilo Clint, the the next best player, right? I think he's still going to be another year away. He's done some good things in the American Hockey League, so I think he'll have a chance. Maybe not next year, but maybe the following year. Um, you know, as far as as far as guys in Abbotsford specifically, that might be it, right? Like, you know, I know guys like Sheldon Dries and and uh, Rempel have had a couple a cup of coffee here and there. Uh, with the big club, including Dreiser's up here now, and both have had really good years in Abbotsford. But I don't know that they're going to be viewed as anything more than depth players by the organization that can just kind of come up and down uh, a little bit here and there. And then Aiden McDonough, after another year in college, what's his readiness level then at that point, right? And he probably is a guy that's going to have to spend some time in the American League before coming up. But, you know, those are kind of the guys, right? I mean, uh, you know, when I look up and down the lineup and, you know, you, have they have they kind of looked past – a jet woo or, or one, you know, some of these guys are just, they just don't have that, that big pipeline of guys that are just next man up because those guys that should be in those situations are in the national hockey league. Now. Are there any players on this run um, that the Canucks have been on with Bruce that have surprised you that may have been underperforming or someone you weren't expecting to perform this well um, throughout this entire season or late in the season? Uh, not really. You know, I think there's been some players that have underperformed. And, you know, as you talk about the prospect guy, you know, the one guy I should mention is Will Lockwood as well, who looks like he's got the makings of a real bonafide bottom six guy. Uh, another thing they haven't necessarily been able to develop through the system, but he's here now showing well. And I think he could be a guy if he had some strength that could be uh, a guy like Klimovich that comes up soon. But truthfully, I don't know that anybody's overperformed, right? I mean, JT Miller's been exceptional all season. Pedersen is now, you know, playing arguably the best hockey of his career. Uh, the last two months, uh, Thatcher Demko has been Thatcher Demko, right? But, you know, in terms of guys that have overperformed, not really, you know. I, and, I, and when I look at guys like Connor Garland, who's underperformed, and, um, you know, and um, Jason Dickinson has underperformed. So there's been a few that have been, that have been like that. So, uh, and, and then others have kind of lived up to their expectation, right? But uh, it's a roster that doesn't necessarily have a lot of room for error. So those guys kind of stand out a little bit. Uh, probably not for the reasons that you want to. What can the Canucks do in the offseason, in your opinion, to kind of translate this success over the course of a whole 82-game season? Well, they've got to get better on the back end. You know, there, there's just no way around it. You know, you've got guys that are logging hard minutes that just shouldn't be. You know, uh, um, Oliver Ekman Larson had a really good bump the first couple of months of the season, and then he kind of wore down a little bit, and his game – uh, reverted back a little bit you know now he's playing a little better but you know the more you overplay him now you're going to at his age now you're going to risk injury uh, Tyler Myers is, is an absolutely an NHL defenseman but he really should be a bottom pair guy he shouldn't be you know your top two or three defensemen in terms of ice time um, you know and, and they're just on inefficient deals right so ultimately they're, they're going to have to clear some cap space and they're going to have to find a way to rebuild their defense and that's been the the never-ending problem for Jim Benning, right? When he went out and kind of overpaid Tyler Myers a little bit, and certainly, you know, he, they should have just taken their medicine with the other contracts and not brought Ekman Larson in, you know, for five more years at $7.25 million. Right. So now the hard part comes right now. You've got to find other ways to get some cap flexibility. And does it mean moving on from a Connor Garland? Does it mean packaging an asset to let go of one of your other inefficient deals? But the defense has to get better because the forwards, even when they're good, aren't getting the puck in positions to skate, aren't getting the puck in positions to create, right? So I think, I think defensively they've just got to get better.
Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time today, Farhan. I really appreciate you coming on. It's been an honor to talk to you today so far. Um, I do have one last question for you. I know um, you're a big football guy. You have a football podcast and you do a great job covering the NFL and CFL. So I want to ask you one football related question before you leave. Do you have any early predictions for the Super Bowl next year? Wow. Um, I don't know that I do. Uh, you know, honestly, I, I just, I'm waiting for the draft. And I say that because there, there's going to become a second wave of free agent signings after the draft. Right. So I still like what the Rams have done uh, with their roster. I know that OBJ is not necessarily back and, and they lose Von Miller, but I think that was a really solid team before that. And they've made some good additions. Uh, you know, can the chiefs overcome the loss of Tyreek Hill, right? What are they going to do in the draft to potentially uh, address that need? I think they've still got one more on the trade front. So, uh, you know, every time any team Patrick Mahomes is on, I'm going to take a real long look at. So, uh, you know, there's a couple of those. And, and I think the Bengals have done a good job improving their offensive line and, and getting some help for Joe Burrow uh, to go along with their young talent. So I think they're going to be heard from again in Buffalo, right? So I, ultimately the Super Bowl is going to run through the AFC. But uh, in the NFC, I still, I still like the Rams. And I'm just looking forward to watching the AFC West and those four teams and those four quarterbacks. It's going to be really exciting to watch that play out. Right. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing your coverage on that. And hopefully we'll be able to see some Vancouver Canucks playoff coverage this year from, from you as well. So I, I really appreciate your time today. It meant a lot. And uh, thank you again for coming on the Lift Lettuce podcast. Thanks for staying persistent and asking. I appreciate it. <laughs> Take care, Farhan. Okay. See you, Randy. Back to episode 11 of the Lip Lettuce Podcast. I'm your host, Randeep. We got two episodes for you this week. And this is uh, the first episode of the week. And we got my brother with me, like always, Rashawn. What's up? Hello, everybody. What's up? How, what are you doing? Uh, nothing much. Nothing much. Uh, what's up with you? Nothing. Got off work. We're going to record this pod. You know, life can't be better. But we'll start it off. Wait, Sean, did you see that uh, first? Did you see that U14 um, Shattuck St. Marie versus Chicago Fire? I think they're called. U14? Yeah. No, US I didn't. National. No, I didn't see okay. that. Okay, no, you have to look at this video. But pretty much, uh, it's the biggest, biggest, worst refing call I've ever seen. It'll make you want to throw up in your mouth. Like, literally. It's the worst refing I've ever seen in my life. Okay, so it's U14 Nationals. It's the Nationals, U.S. Nationals. And it's overtime. And the player from Chicago Fire comes through the middle of the ice, takes a backhand, and imagine it hitting the middle of the goalie's crest. And he's about two feet um, two feet out of his net, like, like playing the angle. Okay, And it hits his crest. Um, and the player took it from like a, about the top of the circle. And then the goalie saved it. The ref points goal. Like, it's a good goal. The player sees the ref pointing good goal. And the whole team jumps on the ice and goes crazy. And they're national champions. 
And the puck <laughs> hit the goalie in the middle of the chest. Wait, and the game just ended? Like, nobody... No, no like... one said anything. No one could do anything because the team went so crazy. And, and uh, it just, that's it? No. Yeah, it ended. It ended. Like, imagine being a player on that team. I mean, U14, that's pretty high level. And especially those kind of teams, those are, like, probably, like, at least some pro players on those teams. So, yeah, it's uh, just pretty funny that roughing is poo-poo at all levels. So. <laughs> you have to look up that video, though. I need to watch After. that. Okay, well, we'll start today's pod with your hero... <laughs> My savior, Big Poppy Austin Matthews, fifty-eight goals. Last time that we recorded, um, about fourteen days ago, I think he even had fifty. Maybe he had forty-six. So he scored twelve in two weeks almost. Um, you've been saying Matthews for heart all year. If like, unless he goes pointless in his last ten games, he probably has the heart locked up. He has the rocket locked up. Um, he has the single best leaf scoring season of all time, passing Rick Vive's 54 goals. He has 51 goals in 50 games. He has the most goals by an American-born player in a single season. Austin Matthews. The list goes on. The more records will be broken. But what do you think, Sean, of Big Poppy dominating the last few weeks? I think just proven what kind of player he is. And I think he's this year has proven that he's top player in the league. Maybe not past couple of seasons, but this season for sure. And watching him break that record was, you know, it was, it was crazy to see. And I have a question for you about American-born players. Do you think Matthews is the best American-born player we've ever seen. In my opinion, like, there's there's been a lot of greats. Um, I think Matthews, to be the best American-born player, is going to have to have some playoff success. But, I mean, in terms of talent, no, I don't think there's been a player who's better than Matthews. Um, That's for sure. I mean, Brett Hall scored 70. But the thing about Brett Hall is he's also Canadian. So, and he did play for Canada in national events as well. Um, so, Brett Hall's record doesn't really count that much. Um, so, if anyone wants to fact check me on that. Anyways, I think he's up there. Patrick Kane, I think, is definitely top three. Um, I look at a guy like Brian Lee. Um, maybe it's a little bit underrated, but a defenseman. And uh, Mike Magano as well. So uh, I think Matthews is he's in the top five already, and he's well on his way to becoming the best American of all time. He just needs to find some playoff success, and he has a lot of time to do that still. So. Yeah, definitely. I think with just some playoff success, you could definitely put him up there in the top three greatest Americans. And I think it's pretty crazy um, seeing, seeing this kind of scoring from him like this is a once in a generation talent once in a generation even season I mean it's if you look at Ovechkin he had 65 and 708 and he's been steady 50 his whole career but um, it's going to be hard for Matthews to get to this peak again of 60-ish goals 
I mean, obviously, I think he can do it again, but it's going to be hard. So this isn't a season that we should look at and take for granted. Um, I think you should enjoy every time you get to see him play um, in a season like this because you only see it once every 30 years. As you can see, 95-96 was the last time a player scored at this kind of pace. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely special. And I'm happy I got to see him play live this year uh, twice. So, Yeah, okay, now. Gonna see him score, and I mean, I think this. I think he's a player that's capable of hitting sixty, maybe even seventy at some point in his career. But this season is something that so, is so special to watch. Let's see what he's doing this year. Like it doesn't even look like he's trying. Time just like picking puck kind of stuff. Like doesn't even celebrate. He's kind of a demon out there, and there's no no one who could really have an answer for him. I don't know, apart from but, Craig Anderson, I mean, this season. Yeah, the Buffalo Sabres just have the least number. But another, like, if you look at just all his stats, it's it's unbelievable. Leads the league in even strength scoring since he entered the league. Um, that's also an amazing stat. I mean, I think that's the stat that gets overlooked a lot. It's not like Matthews is... I mean, he's obviously a very dangerous power play player. But he does a lot of damage five on five, and I think that's a huge, like just a huge factor in how dominant he is. Um, if you watch him on a night to night basis, he really has taken his game to another level this year, not only scoring wise, but defensively as well. So it's crazy how a player who could score almost 70 goals, might even hit 70, could also be a top candidate for the Celtics. As the best defensive forward. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, another stat is he has a third highest goals per game mark with a minimum of 400 games. Just played his 400 second game. So, who's number one? Uh, I would have to look at that. But I know Matthews is third for sure. Okay. Well, that's enough Matthews talk, but. We could go on for a long time about Austin. And uh, I can't wait to see what he does the rest of the year. And hopefully he does something in the playoffs this year. So all of this will be quickly forgotten. Um, Another team that has high expectations for the rest of the year. And I think is a team that has the highest expectations of all the teams in the NHL is the Colorado Avalanche. Um, do you think they, the Avalanche will finally get over their kind of second-round hump? To me, this is a team that has all the tools to get there. But something's missing, in my opinion. It might be a hot take, but for me, Colorado still gives up a lot of chances. And although they look like the clear-cut favorite, I'm expecting an upset. Um and I don't expect Colorado to exercise those demons this year. Just from what I've been watching, what I've seen. Um, what do you think, Don? Do you think that they're just going to be so overpowering? Or do you think that Darcy Kemper is the answer and they're going to be able to get past the second round? No, that's the hardest part to talk about. Is I, don't, I don't think their goaltending is what is going to be good enough to get them past that second round demon. And 
I can see a team like if they play, say, Minnesota or St. Louis in the second round matchup. I think that's something that a team that could beat Colorado, especially Minnesota. I, I would like that matchup for Minnesota. And I don't know. I just don't think the goaltending is there for Colorado. I just something well, you, something's telling me that they won't be able to get over that home. Well, it is. It's a weird feeling that I have too. But you look at the Central Division goaltending in those top three teams. Billy Huso, he's put up a huge season. He's kind of unproven. But so was Darcy Kemper in the playoffs. Well, and Marc-Andre Fleury might be the X factor in that division. Yeah, I think that's why I look at a team like Minnesota who could potentially upset Colorado in a second-round matchup. Uh, dude, why do you think they can? Like, I think what, what... I just I think their goaltending. I think if Flurry can play at a level that he's been playing at for the past couple of years, that's a huge X factor in this series. And then they're able to. I know Minnesota is a big, gritty team, and I just don't know about Darcy Kemper. That's that's the one thing about Colorado that that gives me the weird feeling, especially their goaltending. John, like I look at also at St. Louis, um, they have seven forwards right now at the twenty goal mark, the most amount of any team, and they have two other forwards in Ryan O'Reilly at Robert Thomas at eighteen goals and seventeen goals. So all the whole top nine of St. Louis, although they don't have a big game breaker, their highest goal score is twenty seven goals. They'll have nine forwards, three full lines that will have eclipsed the 20-goal mark. Um, would you rather have a team with, like, a top-heavy game-breakers, or do you think that having a solid scoring throughout the lineup, having 20-goal guys all the way throughout all four lines is more of a threat? Because I feel like St. Louis might be slept on a little bit. Yeah, I think having more balanced scoring is definitely more of a threat, especially if you have a Three lines that are all 20-plus goal scorers. That's, uh, I think that's probably probably a bigger threat than having a, a heavy heavy top six, maybe. Not even top six, maybe three, four players. So, so do you think that St. Louis, like, the Leafs are kind of built in that way? And I look at Colorado. They have a good depth all the way up and down their lineup, but they definitely do depend on their top guys to produce, just like any team. Do you think that St. Louis could give a team like that problem? Um, I think maybe having a more balanced bottom six that can give you more of a goal-scoring threat can can give a team some problems, especially if your third line is all scoring 20 goals. So I'm not saying either having a top, like a Toronto core four where it's a heavy attack or having a balanced line, either way could work for any team, but... I think having a balanced scoring is still effective, like St. Louis. Yeah, so we'll see how Colorado goes, but something tells me that this year might not be the year for the Colorado Avalanche. And I think eventually they'll get there, but I think there a lot lies on this year, um, obviously with some big contracts expiring. So they made a swing, and we'll see where it goes over this last 10 games through playoffs. And we'll be covering it, but we will see. Nazan Kadri is up. So we will see what goes on in Colorado. Um, moving and looking at some other matchups, 
year over these past few weeks. Uh, something that we did touch on at the end of our last podcast, Sean, um, the Trevor Zegers goal. We did not talk about the reaction and definitely the fallout these last few weeks. It's been one of the biggest stories in hockey. Trevor Zegers scoring a highlight reel Michigan goal, like we've talked about before. And later in the game, Troy Terry gets absolutely jumped by Jay Beagle. And then on top of that, Tyson Nash, a color commentator for the Arizona Coyotes, makes a comment um, and says that this is what they get for skilling it up. So, Sean, uh, I don't know if you heard Tyson Nash, but he went on the Craig Morgan show um, and tried to clarify his comments. And in my opinion, he made it worse because he said that he doesn't think it's wrong that Beagle was punching the head in of a defenseless 21-year-old. Um, what do you think of this whole situation? Um, I think it's just embarrassing for Tyson Nash. And then these past couple of weeks, he's just been digging a deeper hole for himself, trying to later defend his comments. But really, he just he just keeps saying the same thing over and over, where if you're skilled, you basically are going to get beat up. So... I don't understand, but I mean, it's pretty embarrassing that first of all, he said that, and then now he's not even taking back what he said. He's still continuing on and believing that what he said isn't wrong. Yeah, man, like he's kind of a goof, in my opinion. Uh, I think this is kind of what's wrong with hockey. Guys like this, uh, and guys, I mean, commentators, analysts, old school hockey guy, the hockey man, guys like, I don't know, Kevin Bieta, guys like Tyson Nash, um, people who promote this kind of behavior in hockey, like back in, I hate when they say back in my day, because like, even, like, the biggest one, in my opinion, is Jeff O'Neill. I don't even know how he's on the air anymore. On TSN. It's what that one stud earring. But I I think that's the problem with today's commentators. Especially these guys. Like, it's not back in the day where you would... There was no research on brain damage. There was no research on what head trauma does to a person and their long-term health and long-term life and for commentators for ex-players to come on and push a narrative of back in my day well we're not in 2008 um that was almost 20 years ago we're in 2022 and this is the new game there's virtually no fighting anymore of course there's going to be hitting i'm not saying no hitting but and of course, there's going to be competitive play, physical play. But when a skilled player, a star, is defenseless, is not engaged and willing to fight, I'm not even saying there shouldn't be any fighting. But I think that both participants in a fight or a physical altercation need to be willing and be able to defend themselves. 
and Troy Terry was not willing and took probably three, four punches while he was basically folding like a stack of cards. So I don't know what Jay Bakel's doing. He has one goal this year. He's an inconsequential player on an inconsequential team. The team doesn't matter. The player doesn't matter. We would not be even speaking Jay Beagle's name unless the only reasons we've talked about Jay Beagle in the last three, four years is because he's overpaid. He's not that good at hockey for his contract. And now he's punched someone who was in the 12th grade three years ago. So that is what we have from Jay Beagle. Yeah, I agree. And what makes it even worse is I think Troy Terry came in to stick up for Zegers after he got cross-checked into the net and then by Jay Beagle. Jay Beagle picks up Troy Terry, still has his gloves on, and just starts beating him. And, I mean, it's honestly just embarrassing to even see that happen and for Jay Beagle to even be playing this season is still... It's... I think that the story would have been different if Ryan Getzloff wasn't injured for this game, and also if Nicholas Valorie wasn't paid at the trade deadline. Anaheim kind of lost his muscle, and they got kind of picked on, but I do expect Pat Verbeek to address that kind of issue in the offseason for the Ducks. Yeah, definitely. So, scumbags like Beagle can't just take thoughts that they're still guys. Yeah. Moving on, Sean. Um, With the season almost ending, we did a segment about six episodes ago called NHL First Team All-Star. And the name of the segment is pretty straightforward. It's our NHL First Team All-Star. You want to start? You Do you remember your season at all? Yeah, I remember, but just before we start, it's like... Like, I, uh, it's just two wingers, right? So, it doesn't matter yeah, if they play what side. It's just two wingers. No, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But you can't okay. put a center on the wing. Okay, okay. I got mine. Then. Uh, okay, you go first. You go first. Okay, so at center, I have Austin Matthews. And do you want me to read the whole thing? Yeah, we'll just okay. read both ours, and then we'll talk about it after. Okay. And uh, on the wing, I have Jonathan Huberto and Johnny Goudreau. And then my defensemen are Kill Makar and Roman Yossi. And the net, I have Igor Shosturkin. Okay, um, well, I have the same defense and goaltending as you. And centerman. But, I don't know. Is Le- Okay, I was trying to debate this. Because is Leon Dreisaitl a winger or a center? I think he's a center. I think he primarily plays center. So, I think he's a center. But when he plays with McDavid, he's a winger. I Maybe it's a toss-up, but I counted him as a center, so I threw two wingers. He's on. been playing on the wing a lot, hasn't he? I haven't watched the Oilers recently, so it would be far Well, I put him on the wing, so he's one of my wingers. And my other winger is Mitch Marner. Not a biased pick. You cannot call me out for bias. Since January, who is the most, the highest scoring player in the NHL? Mitch Marner. Yes. 
That is why I think he has been on another level this year. And not only does he is he on pace for 110, 115 points if he played the full season, he penalty kills. He plays on the power play. Last minute of play, when they're defending a lead, who's out there? Mitch Marner. When they're trying to score a goal on an empty net, who's out there? Mitch Marner. He plays in all areas of the game, all facets of the game. And I think besides Austin Matthews, he is the most dominant winger in the NHL in all areas of the game. Uh, that's my opinion. And I'm going to stick to it. Well, so, I have a problem on my Instagram is at Randy Ballamwala. My boy Mitch Marner is a first team NHL. Well, the reason I don't want to put Mitch Marner there is because it's going to sound like a biased pick. So, I had to show some love to a player who just hit 100 points in Johnny Goudreau. So, for the yeah, first time. It was, it, was a, it, it was a toss up between Goudreau and uh, Dry Saddle for me. But uh, if you don't count Dry Saddle as a winger, I'd put Goudreau there. And I think defense and goalies are just obvious picks. So. Yeah, Makar, Yosti might score 100, and Makar, he's uh, he's also on another level, so. And then goalie, that's not even so a question. Hat, so Sturkins has the Vezina locked up almost all year. He's faltered for times at a bit, but even then, I don't, I don't think. I I was thinking Jacob Markstrom, and I think the Jacob Markstrom, if he has a solid last 10 games, can insert himself as the Vezina winner. You know what I mean? Like, he has, leads the league in shutouts, and his numbers with Shusterkin are almost identical. Um, and he, and if you look at Shusterkin, he has a better backup than uh, I, I think, I mean, I don't know, Gorgiev is pretty, pretty shaky during this season, but I think Shusterkin's been a clear cut. Really, this whole season as Vesna, and even in Hart, he was up there at times during the season. So, I wanted to talk about some hot streaks. Um, well, one team's hot streak. We, I was going to bring up the least hot streak, but we've talked about the least hot streak. So, we'll just talk about this one team. They're from Alberta. They're the Edmonton Oilers, and they are on a heater. Um. They've won what six, seven in a row now. I think it's and, like they're like eight and one, eight one and one the last ten. Yeah, and Jay Woodcroft has made a huge difference in Edmonton. And we had Gene Principe on uh, a few episodes ago to talk Oilers, and he had a lot of belief in this team. Uh-huh. And this team has come on, so Lip Lettuce might be the reason for the Oilers' hot streak. You're welcome, Edmonton. Um. But this is a team that could be scary going into the playoffs and could win around this year. Um, I think these past if they play games, LA, they have a chance. Uh, yeah, LA is like their defense is totally depleted. I think Drew, I think Drew Doyle is out the rest of the season, so that defense is. They basically have an AHL defense playing and. You have to cut their goaltending too. Last ten games, I think Koskinen and Mike Smith have had a nine forty six save percentage. So 
they gave him way better goaltending since Jay Woodcroft took over. And I think lots of people are not crediting Miko Koskinen and Mike Smith. So you have to give them where, their credit where credit's due. And I think overall their team's been playing way better. So it's impressive. You think to see a contender? Uh, contender question mark? I wouldn't say contender, but it's hard. you got to see... With a lot of these teams, you have to look at their goaltending, and these goaltenders been on a hot streak. But when playoffs come around, you don't know. So McDavid's Mc, I mean, like, look, if they're going to McDavid's house after games, then I can understand why they've been playing so good. You know, Connor McDavid lives in an absolute palace a mansion inside one of the most beautiful cities in the world. So I could understand why the Oilers are on a absolute hot streak, you know? Getting in the hot tub after the game in McDavid's place. They're just they're just buzzing right now. So I can understand why they are they're on that hot streak. I can't you're just taking shots at McDavid's house and Edmonton as a city. <laughs> I have nothing I can't hit McDavid's house. I, I'm not being sarcastic. No, all. We've, all see, we've all seen the tour of his house. We know it's maybe the ugliest house we've ever seen, but that's a totally different topic right now. And his um, choice of partner is also questionable. And that is also another topic for another day and probably another podcast. Uh, yeah, Sean. Do you have anything else? Any other topics you want to add before before we throw it over to my favorite segment? Question and answer corner. Um, we take your questions and we answer them. Questions from our Instagram and we answer them. Uh, uh, no, I, I think you could throw it over. You don't have anything? Throw it no. over? Yeah. Just toss it? Just, Just toss, toss it to the Q&A corner. We're tossing it to the Q&A corner. So we put the question out um, of who, who we got some, we got you guys to answer our question. Um, you guys saw the story and some of you guys gave us some questions to ask. So let me get started here. Um, question number one from at Herrick by Kay Olson. This one's for you, Sean. How is her son so cute? How is he so sweet? Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> we got some fans. We got some fans. We got some fans. Get over here, Sean. Uh, I don't know how to answer that question. So You have to answer the question that people ask. This whole point of Q&A corner. Um, she would have to ask my mom. So, <laughs> is mom there? No, she's not. <laughs> okay. Question number two from at Paul Alamola. I guess uh, this is for both of us, Sean. Okay. Who wins in a fight? Ty Domi or Conor McGregor? <laughs> Well, is this a street fight, or are they thrown into an octagon, or is McGregor on skates? That's okay, buddy. If it's a skate fight, Ty Dome, and it's Prime Domi and Prime McGregor. Okay. okay, I think if it's a street fight, I've Prime Domi. 
Why, Domi? Because McGregor's gonna be like trying to promote his like alcohol, and then Domi's just gonna kill him on the street. That's my explanation. And I hate Conor McGregor, so I think Ty Domi beats him up. No matter what. No matter the setting, no matter where. Okay, maybe it's in the octagon. I have Conor McGregor, but what's anywhere... the difference between a street and a in the octagon? What's the difference? Uh, I don't know. You're allowed weapons on the street, so I think I have Ty Domi. But Ty Domi's <laughs> gonna grab like a like a pipe wrench and hit Conor McGregor. You never know. It's Ty Domi, so I have Ty Domi winning a okay, fight. We're looking at Ty Domi, no rules brawl. Yeah, I might see Ty Domi putting McGregor through a table, but also. If it was like hell in a cell or something, McGregor is gonna beat Domi. So this is a very broad question. Um, I think also if we're looking at like a money in the bank type of match, um, McGregor might have the edge. Um, but if we're looking at just a pure street brawl, I think McGregor wins. But it takes at least. Six hours for a ten. Because I don't know. Domi, Domi will never quit, you know. Yeah, but I don't think McGregor can make it past five minutes, and it's been proven in his last two fights. I mean, <laughs> we're talking Conor Dustin, McGregor. Dustin Poirier is, is Conor McGregor's dad. Everyone should know that. But and I don't think McGregor's ankles can hold up either. He might just might fall over holding it. So. I've tied I really, I, I really would pay money to see Conor McGregor on the gate. Um, so that would be pretty funny. And also, I don't know how Paul and Wally even came up with this question. It's pretty. This is a pretty you random question. You can't attack. You can't. You can't attack the people who are asking questions. This is the I'm whole just, point. It's I'm called just, ask anything. I'm just questioning how that even came to mind. Well, thinking a question to ask a hockey podcast. As you can see from our last interview on our last podcast, we've been moving away from hockey a little bit with Cabby Richard. So we might have a Kardashian insider on our next podcast. Um, you never know. Lip lettuce, it could go anywhere. Um, you could follow us on Instagram at Lip Lettuce Podcast. You could follow me on Instagram. At Randy Palomwala. You could follow my co-host on Instagram. At Hershon Alamala. And yeah, if you guys uh, are listening to this podcast, please rate it five stars on Spotify. It'll help us show up on more people's feeds and hopefully they'll listen to us talk absolute nonsense. So um, yeah, rate us five stars on Spotify. If you want to do anything for me and Sean, um, you could do that. We would greatly appreciate that. And we always appreciate you guys listening. And we'll be back, not next week, but this week for another episode. And then we'll be back to our regular schedule of one episode a week. But, uh, yeah, thank you guys again for listening. Sean, you got anything to say? Uh, no, I think that's it. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.